a push to increase voting access for people behind bars in Pennsylvania, and school board races across the state are a big battleground in the culture wars. Welcome to The Morning Agenda, WITF's daily news podcast, where the only agenda is you. A good morning to you. It is Monday, November 6th, the day before Election Day, and this is being recorded at 9.15 a.m. I'm your host, Tim Lambert, as we take this daily trip around the region's top stories together. So let's get started. Some state lawmakers are taking a look at prisoners' access to ballots. My colleague Ben Wasserstein reports a Democratic push to get mail-in ballots to some people in jails and prisons is making its way through the House. People in jail over misdemeanors or awaiting trial can vote, but very few do. One report from a voting rights group shows only 52 eligible prisoners out of 25,000 requested ballots in 2020. A big reason is jails don't have policies on voter registration or helping inmates get mail-in ballots. Democratic Representative Rick Krajewski of Philadelphia is sponsoring legislation to increase access for voters serving time. He says increasing access to ballots is a good step to reintegrate them into society. We have to figure out how we actually promote compassion and rehabilitation when it comes to talking about like real justice and real accountability. Now, Krajewski is sponsoring legislation to set a framework of guidelines and standards for county facilities to follow when it comes to granting voting access to people serving time. The bills will go up for a vote in the Democratic-controlled House, but if passed there, their fate in the GOP-controlled Senate would be uncertain. A new report says increased coordination between regional electric grids could save people billions of dollars on their energy bills. My colleague Rachel McDevitt reports new transmission lines will also be needed to transport renewable energy. The grid is actually made up of many regional electric grids that can't trade power between them very easily. When they do share, it can drive up costs. The report from Grid Strategies and the American Council for Renewable Energy looks at the benefits of connecting the PJM grid, which includes Pennsylvania, and MISO, which covers a large part of the Midwest. Michael Goggin wrote it. He says more transmission will make the grid more reliable. Because you can kind of share the resources when you have your time of need, um, you're able to borrow power from your neighbor that doesn't have as severe of a need and vice versa. So building new transmission lines is expensive up front, but the analysis says more interregional power lines will lower the overall number of power plants needed and let cheaper power flow more easily across borders, and that will save people in the region $1 billion each year. A recent study from the U.S. Department of Energy says the MISO PJM region has the country's largest need for interregional transmission due to the expected growth of renewables and demand for power. Well, center county leaders are celebrating a newly renovated passive house in State College that promotes sustainability, energy efficiency, and affordability. Sydney Roach is with our partner, WPSU and State College, and she recently went to the grand opening to learn more. She has the story for you. 1505 and 1507 University Drive and State College are up for sale. Local, county, and state officials gathered to cut the ribbon of a newly renovated 1970s duplex in State College. After the ribbon cutting, community members got to take a tour. The duplex renovation is a project by the State College Community Land Trust. The trust says it's only the second multifamily passive house certified renovation in the country, and the first in Pennsylvania. Passive houses are energy efficient, cost effective, and environmentally friendly. 
That's according to Barb Roebuck with West Penn Power Sustainable Energy Fund, which was a partner on the project. She says one of the requirements for passive house certification is removing all thermal bridges. This is how she describes it. On a really frigid, cold winter morning, have you ever touched your doorknob and it's cold? Sometimes it's frosty. That's thermal bridging. The cold builds a bridge from the outside through the door onto your doorknob. Well, guess what? This kind of construction breaks every thermal bridge in this house. Air sealing, insulation, mechanical ventilation, and passive house certified windows mean there are no drafts, and homeowners save on energy costs. State College Mayor Ezra Nain says this house makes the community financially accessible to more people. And that's really important for the life of our community. Sustainability, energy efficiency, and of, of course affordable housing. These are the things that we talk about and strive to achieve all the time. So check this out. The average home value in State College is about $380,000, according to Zillow. The renovated passive house is on sale through the land trust for $105,000. I certainly hope your Monday morning is off to a great start today. And for me, my day started with going through about a dozen news sites across central Pennsylvania. And I found one story to put on your radar because it covers an issue that may impact you or your community in the future. So here's what you need to know. Leaders plan to stop funding a library because it provides access to LGBTQ plus materials that don't reflect the Lancaster County community's conservative values. Our sister newsroom, LNP Lancaster Online reports, Fulton Township supervisors say they will not provide its annual $1,000 donation next year. The cut stems from the discovery of library materials supervisors claim the community finds objectionable. Now, board president Scott Osborne says there was a specific book a child borrowed that included material about transgender people, and it was reported to the township. But he could not remember the name of it or provide more details about the incident. Quarryville Library Center serves several townships in Quarryville Borough and offers a series of day programs for adults and children that include math clubs, tech help, Medicare enrollment, and employment assistance, as well as a passport service center and internet service. Library Board President Chris Waite says members were surprised by the cut since the township had not reached out before making its decision. Now, you may remember a similar situation took place in Lancaster County in 2022 when the Akron Borough Council proposed cutting funding to the Ephrata Public Library over some objections to the library hosting a women's health literacy class and a program to assist people experiencing mental health crises. Public outrage over the cuts led borough leaders to continue funding the library, but at a reduced level. However, the borough plans to fully restore funding for 2024. Now, we're going to take two deep dives into a couple of issues. The first has to do with school boards. Sarah Mueller with our partner WLBR reports what a few years ago was a fairly nonpartisan school board contest in northeastern Pennsylvania has turned into a competitive and combative race ahead of tomorrow's election. Do you guys live in Southern Lehigh? We're running for school board, okay? We appreciate your support if you're registered. Have fun trick-or-treating tonight, okay? It's Halloween in downtown Coopersburg, a borough nestled in the Lehigh Valley, and Duck Durham is handing out candy to trick-or-treaters, young and old. Whether you're a Republican or not, the candy's free. So have some candy, regardless. 
Durham's one of 10 candidates vying for one of the five seats on the Southern Lee High School Board. It's a race in a swing district in a swing state. And at stake is the chance to dramatically reshape district policy. Durham's slate of candidates have dubbed themselves the true Republicans. They've got the endorsement of the county Republican committee and signed a pledge that in part is aimed at a curriculum review to keep, quote, woke politics out of the classroom. That led to criticism that they wanted to censor school libraries. Here's Durham on local conservative talk show host Bobby Gunther Walsh's program. We're not book banners. I believe in free speech, but I don't believe that pornography should be available to children in the schools. Durham's group says they want to restrict students from using bathrooms that align with their gender identity and inform parents when they ask to go by different gender pronouns. If you believe that a policy that keeps secret from parents is appropriate, then we are fully against that policy. Emily Gaiman, who served on the school board here for eight years, is running for re-election. She's also a Republican, but... Being endorsed by the Republican Party at the county and local level was contingent upon signing that pledge. I chose not to sign that pledge. So Gaiman is running on the Democratic slate with four moderate Republicans and one Democrat. She believes students have a right to privacy at school. If there is a policy that exists where a child is told if you talk to an adult about anything, your parent will immediately be called, that does more harm than good. These types of debates might sound familiar. Sometimes they become frontline in national political battles. That's University of Pennsylvania professor Dan Hopkins. He says the often sleepy school board races of yesteryear are quickly becoming a thing of the past, fueled in part by the COVID-19 pandemic. COVID led to a genuinely important shift in the sense that school boards were making very, very meaningful decisions about whether to open or close. And many parents had the experience of suddenly having their kids in their houses, and oftentimes they could hear the instruction. Hopkins says what's happening in the Lehigh Valley is just another example of how local politics have become nationalized. Local candidates take cues from national groups focused on the role of parents in schools, like the far-right Moms for Liberty and its left-leaning counterpart, Stop Moms for Liberty. These suddenly nationally kind of charged symbols to infuse a local political debate. Christine Slifer, who has two small children in the district, says she can't escape the tension in the race. I'm in some local groups on Facebook, like local groups that have nothing to do with politics, have stuff to do with the school or the town, you know, and I'm in there just to kind of find out what's going on. A lot of it gets brought into there, and it's, like he said, it's very divisive. She says she's frustrated by the local coverage. It wasn't even focusing on how great Southern Lehigh is for academics or any of our achievements. It was all these hot-button topics, and I just don't think that's positive for our kids. The fierce competition for unpaid positions on Lehigh Valley school boards shows how political these races have become. Voters will soon decide what issues most resonated with them, But the results either way are unlikely to break the political entrenchment on both sides, with the kids caught in the middle. Now, you may well know Americans produce tons of food waste, but that's starting to change in some places. And Danahy with WPSU, our partner in State College, reports on a compost pilot program in Center County that's keeping food waste out of landfills and turning it into black gold. 
It looks like a garbage truck and sounds like a garbage truck, but the pumpkin shells, rotting apples, and coffee grinds this truck is unloading will actually become something good. Compost. So he's going to take all this material that was just dumped, add leaves to it for our carbon source, and then he'll run it through this grinder and then put it onto the pile, and that just helps keep all the material the same size so it breaks down evenly. Shannon Dunlap is the refuse foreman in State College's Public Works Department. He's explaining the multi-step process for turning those piles of food waste, leaves, and grass clippings into compost. You can kind of see it steaming now. It's already starting to work. You're starting to create that heat. It actually happens pretty quick. The borough of State College has had a residential curbside composting program for years, but the load that was just dropped off includes scraps from a pilot program the center region launched this summer. The goal is bringing composting to neighboring municipalities. Shelley Motto is the Center Region Council of Government's Refuse and Recycling Program Administrator. Well, people really want to do something better with their food waste, and we know that about 40% of what goes into the landfill is actually compostable. The municipalities are more spread out than the borough, so curbside pickup made less sense. With this pilot program, residents who signed up to participate drop their compost off at one of five locked dumpsters. We have 650 people registered to do this. We've so far diverted over 33 tons of food and garden waste. That's right, 33 tons. We throw away a lot of food, and food waste is heavy. So think about a rotten tomato. It might not take up that much space, but it's a lot heavier than your balled-up chips bag. Some states are moving to keep all food waste out of landfills, or have already started that. In Pennsylvania, composting is cropping up in a growing number of municipalities and counties, too. According to the State Department of Environmental Protection, of those that reported their composting stats, the weight of organic materials was more than 1 million tons in 2021. That's up from about 614,000 tons 20 years before. Along with the environmental benefits are economics. When you put um, food waste in the landfill, and it decomposes, it creates methane, which is a really, really powerful greenhouse gas. So we want to keep that out. At the same time, when you compost it, it becomes a really valuable soil addition. So you can you know, mix it in with your garden, you can mulch with it, and it just returns all those nutrients to the soil. Right now, the Center Region Program has pilot approval from the state, and State College is providing the dumpsters and pickup. The pilot program will run through mid-November. Motto says they hope to continue it after that. And that would mean all of that garbage won't be going to waste. In State College, I'm Ann Danahy. The Morning Agenda is available anywhere you find your favorite podcast and on WITF's YouTube channel. And hopefully, if you like what you hear, you'll share it with your friends and on your social media channels because you can play a big part in spreading the word about us and help us grow our audience. So what is the one song you're thinking about today as you get on with your Monday? Reach out to me on Twitter or Blue Sky. I'm at TLambert895 at both places and let me know. And you can check out our Spotify playlist, The Morning Agenda Song of the Day, November 2023, and you'll find today's pick, The Clash, I Fought the Law. 
And that does it for the morning agenda. It's a daily news podcast from WITF, where the only agenda is you. I'm your host, Tim Lambert. Thank you so much for listening today. Your company is always appreciated. Be well, enjoy the rest of the day, and we'll talk again tomorrow on Election Day.